Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. My guest today, Dr. Brigitte Serpity. Now, She has a lovely name and I'm always tongue tied when I get used to another, to a new name, but she was kind enough to give it to me phonetically. So I'm pleased that Dr. Serfati has joined us today. She currently serves as associate professor of nuclear pharmacy. She's a practice and director of nuclear education online at the University of Arkansas. She does this for the university's Medical Science College of Pharmacy. Dr. Servity is also the president of Aligned Engagement Strategies Group. This is an executive well-being coaching practice, which is focused on work-life alignment and space for what matters, especially during COVID. We've been through a lot. And working and managing, if you have children, managing your children's education, if they're being taught remotely, it's challenging. It's stressful. We need to focus more on what's important. And what we think is important may not always be important. And Dr. Serpity works with individuals in furtherance of helping them identify those things that are important without saying, I don't have time to do X, Y, Z, one, two, three, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's fun. You know, people prioritize things differently. And Dr. Serfati is passionate about helping professionals reconcile the things that they do in their life, that they care about, and their work-life balance. Now. With 30 years of corporate pharmacy leadership and management experience, Brigitte has had plenty of experience. And these are her words, and I wholeheartedly agree. She says she has plenty of experience doing the dance between work-life balance and overcommitment. And see, that's what we do. We overcommit. We think we can do it all and do everything. And sometimes we just simply can't. Sometimes when we overcommit, we fall down often, repeatedly, and finally, 
we find that we need to learn the lesson of prioritizing our own health and well-being to optimize our performance as a member of a family, a member of a team at work, a member of a religious organization or a social organization. We want to be the best that we can be. And sometimes we just need help. Now, Dr. Serpati received her pharmacy, her doctorate in pharmacy from the University of Arkansas for medical sciences and her master's of science from Purdue University. She's board certified in nuclear pharmacy, lifestyle medicine, and health and wellness coaching, and certified in mindfulness, yoga, and yoga therapy. So she's the real deal. And hopefully, at the end of our interview, you'll be better able to at least identify what's important in your life and what deserves more focus and prioritize your obligations more realistically so that you don't disappoint others and you don't disappoint yourself. We have to better manage our expectations and what we expect of ourselves and what we can do and do effectively. So welcome, Dr. Serpati. How are you today? Thanks, Beverly, for that wonderful introduction. And I'm great. I hope you are as well. And I really appreciate being able to have this conversation with you. It's You mentioned COVID and, and there's such a desire that I'm hearing to kind of avoid going back to the busyness, you know, the busyness of as usual. And I love this, that we're having this conversation right now. You know, I, I don't think, first of all, we didn't know what to expect, but we surely didn't expect to be isolated for more than a year. We thought that this would be over quickly and unfortunately it wasn't. And for many people, it's been a very stressful period trying to manage everything that they're responsible for. You know, being a family member or a mom or a dad or a daughter, a son, you know, it's just, what do you do? How do you do it? How do you make sure everyone that you care about is cared for and doing well? And people who live a distance from each other, family members and friends who live a distance from each other, how do you go about staying connected? So it, it's really been a challenge, an unexpected challenge. Yeah. That hope you can give us some tools. <laughs> if it, because, you know, a lot of people are vaccine hesitant. And what I'm hearing is that we may have a problem when the weather turns cold. We may have to go back into seclusion for a while because of the variants that are working its way through through our country. Yeah, the variants are, are worrisome to me, too. And I mean, that's why I'm glad we're having the conversation about resilience, about health and well-being, because that's something we can do something about. You know, we can't help everyone's vaccine hesitancy or, you know, we can strongly encourage, but it's, it is a personal decision. But what we can do is learn to take better care of ourselves. And so that's where I've been focused with myself, my family my clients, my students, with everybody is just trying to look at what can we do instead of getting worrying so much about what might happen. You know, that projection into the future or even ruminating about what has happened is 
that's a tough place to be. So, you know, what can we do right now? So that's, that's where I am is, is, okay, it's been really hard. Absolutely. And then how do we take the lessons from this sort of strange left-handed blessing where the world stopped? How can we make something good out of it? And how do we move forward, you know, with better habits? And, you know, we're going to do that. But first, why don't we learn more about you? Where did you grow up? <laughs> I grew up in Pocahontas, Arkansas, which is a small town in northeast Arkansas, a couple hours from Memphis and about three hours from Little Rock. So small town girl. My dad was a farmer. My mom was a teacher and various other iterations. And then I've been gone from Arkansas for almost 30 years and have recently moved back. So I'm close to my family. That was one of the blessings of COVID for me was to move back close to my, my parents and my sister and old friends and the College of Pharmacy where I went to school. So it's it's been a weird transition for me. We moved from Arizona back to Arkansas in September, and I started a, a faculty position at the university that you mentioned in November. So I'm, I'm newly, newly home. <laughs> Is that always part of your plan? Not entirely. So a a friend of mine that held the faculty position here retired, and she has been talking to me about coming back to take this position since I was about 19 years old. We've known each other that long, and I won't tell you how old I am, but considerably older. (laughs) So we had always talked about it, but I've been gone so long, I didn't really think it would happen. But we got serious about the conversation when she decided to retire. And COVID really presented the opportunity, my parents are getting older, to say, you know, do I want to go back home? And so that was what brought me back here. And I'm so glad. I didn't realize how much I missed being near my family because I've been gone for so many years. So it's been fun. I lived in Arizona and Florida and Indiana and all over the place and, and now feel like I'm, I guess I'm home in Arkansas. That's really great. I mean, you know, things happen without much of our effort. To your credit, you had positioned yourself so that you would make a very attractive candidate. (laughs) Well, it's a little bit of a bizarre career journey, but but yeah, I mean, so nuclear pharmacy isn't on the beaten path for a lot of pharmacists. And I certainly didn't have any desire to be a nuclear pharmacist when I was a kid. I didn't even know what it was. I wanted to be a teacher. And so what I figured out when I went to college was that I want to do something in science. I don't know what it is. And I sort of cobbled together a degree plan in nuclear medicine technology because I had all the college credits. And I liked it. I liked nuclear medicine technology, but I loved my nuclear pharmacy rotation. And so what I really enjoyed about it, and I'll I'll talk a little bit about what it is, but as a nuclear medicine technologist, you're in the hospital and you're learning to do the nuclear medicine scans. And so some people might be familiar with a, a bone scan or a cardiac scan. And so nuclear medicine technologists are the, are the folks that get you positioned under the camera and make sure that you're set up and, and inject the drug that they use to do the imaging. So that's who a nuclear medicine technologist is. And then the nuclear pharmacist is the one who made the drug that the technologist injected. It's a sterile product. And there's a lot of safety stuff and considerations that go into that. So I loved nuclear pharmacy. And it was all about the just kind of the fascination with being able to understand how the body worked because you could see it. So I loved imaging science because you could see it instead of just thinking about it. So that's what brought me to 
nuclear pharmacy. And then I always kind of like doing something different. It's a small community. And so you can really get to know people within the nuclear pharmacy community differently than you can as a pharmacist. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of pharmacists and there's about a thousand nuclear pharmacists. So you get to know people throughout the whole industry in in ways that I really found rewarding. And so that's what brought me to nuclear pharmacy and then to really back here to teach in the pharmacy school where I went to college. So it's it's been sort of a strange journey. But as I look at it, I guess I am a teacher. It's what I originally wanted to be. And then I've done a whole lot of stuff in between, mostly in corporate leadership. But now I'm back to where I thought I would be when I was a little girl. <laughs> so that's cool. Well, you know, like I said, though, you did the work that was necessary to position you to be an attractive candidate. Yeah, there was there was a lot of work in there. Yeah. And and was willing to just kind of put myself in situations that I didn't I didn't really know how they would turn out. I I moved around. I worked for different companies, big ones, small ones, managed big teams, no teams, small teams. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of put myself in the way of let's see how this goes. But that but, you know, that's I can't stress enough to you and to our listeners just how important it is to make yourself, to do what's necessary to make yourself attractive from a marketing perspective. You are the product. You don't know where you may want to end up, where you may want to go. You, I'm amazed and and not amazed that you did it, but that amazed that this isn't something that we really talked about, but it's really important that people take steps to maximize their marketability, you know, take on jobs that they might not really be interested in, but upon learning about them, there may be some aspect of them that they can see will benefit them in the long term. Give them knowledge that they didn't have before, give them experience that they didn't have before, and that may make them more marketable. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I've got, this is sort of a long story. I have a, I have a 19-year-old and two 18-year-old daughters, twins, and a 27-year-old. And so the 27-year-old is a, you know, kind of a fine young man, and he has a career going, and the, the daughters are just figuring it out. And we have this conversation all the time because the, I, I don't know what I want to do. Well, good, because you're, you're 18 and 19 years old, and right now is when you're supposed to explore. and try on different identities and try new things and figure out what you like and figure out what you don't like. And it doesn't really matter. Like you get to choose and design what that career looks like, but you're right. Just being willing to do things that you don't quite see as the path along the way is important because you don't know where it's going to lead. And post-COVID, work is different. So I think we all have to be willing to say, okay, what can I do now? Because <laughs> the thing I thought I was, that I was going to do, the job went away or the job went home and now two people are doing it from home and I don't have the same stability. You know, corporate life is not as, it doesn't feel as stable right now as it used to. So yeah, that willingness is key. <laughs> when you hear words like outsourcing, right-sizing, And those words have been part of the vocabulary for years now. (laughs) Corporate life has not been stable. Corporate working life has not been stable for for employees for some time. 
because there's always an effort to reconfigure the workforce so to make it more profitable, make it more productive, to have fewer employees and get as much or more work done as they did with more employees. So all that has to be, we have to be mindful of that and we have to position ourselves to be able to add as much value as as possible, but to highlight what you do, but not at the expense of our own personal well-being. Right. And that's where, and I can say from my own experience, that's where I got caught. So I, I got caught up in a corporate downsizing a couple of different iterations because there were, you know, companies merged. There are three people with similar titles. And and my favorite corporate buzzword is synergy. <laughs> so oh, there's yeah. some synergy here. And yeah. so, you know, somebody's going to go and sometimes it's you and sometimes it's somebody else. But having those just the mindset to understand that it's not personal, it's, it's business, and this is the way it goes. And then how can I protect my own resilience and well-being so that I don't go the, down the rabbit hole when that happens? And I will say I did initially go down the rabbit hole because your identity is so tied. Exactly. You yes. know, you can't help it. But then you have to go, okay, what do I know? Who do I know? What are my strengths? You know, how can I come back from this little blip because it is a blip, it's not the end. And what do I do now? So that forward looking of what do I do now is what's important. I mean, you learn from the the pain of it all, but sometimes it's the best thing that ever happens. And that's what, you know, certainly for me it was because it forced me to reinvent again. Another growth opportunity, right? <laughs> exactly. But you said something earlier that struck me. You said that nuclear pharmacy is a small community and people get to know you. You get to know people, but people also get to know you. And that's important. That's something I never thought about. But if you can go into an area that is small, to your point, and you become active in organizations, you get to know people and they get to like you. When you're out of a job, They'll think about you get in touch with them and tell them, you know, I, I, we had downsizing, you know, some some business, some of the company's business went to an, another area. So I'm I'm looking for work again. They will be willing to help you because they know you. Absolutely. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I had not really zeroed in on, but that's important. Yeah. And, and whatever those communities are. And so I, I've always been involved in professional organizations. And it was really important to me from a pharmacy perspective to do that. And it takes a while regardless. But, you know, you reach out to the people, you know, on LinkedIn and you you just, here's what happened to your point. You know, here's what I'm looking for. Do you know anybody? Can you connect me? And just being, and, you know, if, if you've been involved in those professional societies or those groups and you've been willing to be on committees and help other people and just, you know, connect other people, it does pay off. And you don't do it for the, you know, that reason, but does in the long run, those relationships matter so much. And what's been fun is so nuclear pharmacy was small community, but then now in my new iteration of also having this entrepreneurial side hustle, I'm connected with a lot of entrepreneurs. And that's another, that's a larger group. But though if, you know, like masterminding with small groups of other women or mixed group entrepreneurs, same thing. You know, hey, I'm, I, I don't quite know how to 
figure out this whatever the software is. That's where I get tangled up is the, the marketing. So how, what do you do? You know, what platform do you use? Who do you use as a VA? What, how do you manage your mindset when you're trying to do all this stuff? I mean, those conversations are what matter. And I, I love the, the connection. That's, that's my word for 2021 since COVID <laughs> was, was a thing, is connection in general. So I really do think that networking is, is important, to your point. It's huge. Now, you used a, a, a term, VA. What is VA? Oh, I'm sorry, a virtual assistant. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, as you're trying to learn to grow your business, you know, who, how do you do that? When do you do that? Just all those questions about how do you, I mean, this is not a, this is a new skill for me to try to be successful as an entrepreneur because I've always been in, you know, a, a corporate position or in this faculty position. And it's fun to learn new things, which is my other like secret weapon is be willing to learn, be curious, ask a ton of questions and, you know, don't be afraid to look like a beginner because you're a beginner. <laughs> And there are no stupid questions. Uh-uh. You know, you have to have the self-confidence to say to yourself, I'm not a stupid person, so I'm not going to ask a stupid question. I just don't know. And not there's no harm in not knowing. The harm is remaining ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I feel. No I kidding. Asking questions. And if the people look at me like I'm crazy, it's okay. Maybe I am, but I still want the answer. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I've been doing a a lot of speaking and thinking about mindset in general. And I I know you're probably familiar with Carol Dweck's work with fixed and growth mindset. But Mm. what I didn't really think about was that connection to perfectionism and imposter syndrome and all that stuff, how that's really a fixed mindset. So if you get in that place where you're not willing to ask a question because you don't want to look stupid, there's probably your perfectionism or your inner critic or something is showing up and it's holding you back. And so that's, you know, kind of working on that mindset, especially when you're looking for work is critical to say, okay, where am I stopping my own self? Because I'm not willing to reach out because I'm not willing to ask a question because I don't want to look stupid. And you look stupid when you don't ask, not when you ask. (laughs) When I was working on my first book, I was in a writing group. Someone suggested that I get involved with the mm. writing group, and I did. And everybody tells what their book is about. They go, you go around the room. And a young Indian woman approached me at the break or when I was leaving, and she said, asked me, she said, would you help me? And I said, with what? And she said, I'm looking for work, and no one will help me. And I thought to myself, I don't really have time for this. I'm working on this book. I'm focused. I'm I'm laser focused on getting this book written. I can't, I don't just don't have time. And then I had to, you know, almost virtually slap myself. (laughs) You're writing the book about what she, uh, she needs the book. She's the person you're writing the book for. She's asking you for help. Help her. So I gave her the book in the shape it was in at the time, it wasn't anywhere near finished, but it had links to websites that were, the woman immersed herself in whatever I sent her. And the reason I'm raising it is because I think for her, it was her personality. It was her culture. She wasn't used to approaching people. She wasn't used to, she said she had asked for help and no one would help her. And I thought to myself, you need to think of this more expansively. You need to recognize that 
people for different reasons approach things very differently. And you're going to need to speak to them in terms that makes them receptive to even considering what you're saying to them and being willing to try it. And she said, oh, I did what the material told me to do. And I got dressed and I sat in front of a mirror and I practiced my interview. They offered her a job at a higher level than she applied for. (laughs) Now, she had skills. She was a certified CPA in another state. She had a college degree. She had skills, but they recognized it in her because she had pulled herself together and harnessed all her skills and had practiced, 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 practiced. And she wasn't afraid to ask someone, a stranger, for help. And the stranger wasn't stupid enough to to say no. Right. And I love the fact that you recognized that tendency to say, oh, I just don't have time for this, because that is that is what stops us a lot of times. And good for both of you for saying, OK, wait a minute. You know, she got out of her discomfort zone and you got out of your I don't have time zone and really connected and it changed her life. So, cool, you know, how cool is that? It's why we do what we do. Right. <laughs> and see that, but see, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes we just have to stop yeah. and think. You know, our knee-jerk reaction, it doesn't mean that we're the question or the issue is so esoteric that we have to, you know, really hunker down and use all our brain cells to figure it out. It's just stop, hear what the person is saying. And is this something that you can do? Is this something you should consider? Is it something that you don't want to close the door on? If you're not able to make a quick decision, then leave the door open so you can come back. If after thinking about it, you realize that this is something you should do, you want to do, or you can do. Yeah. It's just, we have to be more mindful of what we can do, mindful of our limitations. If we can't do it, we can't do it. But if we're able to do it and it will help someone and it won't serve to your detriment, Why not? Yeah, and that's really, that's where I end up with all of the conversations. You said something really important there. So it's it's the mindful piece of stopping before reacting. And so there's that you can stop and respond, which is different than just reacting because the knee jerk is probably, I don't have time. Right. But if there's that pause to say, okay, is this within something I value, if I value helping other people, or in this case, you might have valued having a edit read of your book to see if it worked. I mean, there's lots of ways that could be valuable. But just that act of saying, you know, can I give right now? And in this case, the answer was yes. That is the question that we've got all the way around here right now is to say, like, take a deep breath and reconnect with how do I want to spend my time? Am I spending it the way that I want to with that's in line with what's valuable to me? And we don't stop to ask the question. So that's what I think COVID represents for us is the opportunity to say, okay, what is important to me? Am I taking care of my own health and resilience? So I can say yes to things that matter. You know, we just get so head down and busy and, you know, working for the sake of working that sometimes we don't ask that question. So that's really what where I'm focused right now with people is helping them with that. Okay, let's slow down here. 
I hear that you're overwhelmed and that you don't have time. So let's dig into it. So it's always about that language of, do you really, do you not have time because you've taken on too much because you've overcommitted? Or do you not have time because you're spinning, you know, wasting time being anxious and not really doing productive work? What is the reason that you don't have time? Or is it just habitual to say that you don't have time? Because <laughs> we all, you know, that's our kind of our culture in the West is to pile on more and more because that's our identity. Exactly. We overcommit. Yeah. And then we, when we don't, when we're unable to deliver, then we start feeling some kind of way. You know, either we feel that we're inadequate or that we blame other people for impeding our progress. However we deal with it, it's a negative result. When it's more beneficial to spend time doing things that bring you joy. Yeah. And not overcommitting. And the first, yeah, the first part of that is really getting intentional about what that is. Because sometimes we do joy just like we do every other thing. We're going to do all the joy, you know, or we're going to do all the creativity. And it's just more of that same overcommitment. So there is this bit of really being intentional about okay, how much time do I have? And then how do I want to spend it? How much energy do I have? And how do I want to spend it? You know, can I focus on this thing right now or am I distracted? And, you know, trying to put, bring your intention and attention back to it so that you can be productive. So that's where I find that the time gets away from us is when we're, we're just not intentional about it and we're not clear on what all of our commitments are so that we go, well, absolutely, I can do that. And then we do disappoint ourselves and we disappoint other people because we're, we're not able to deliver. To your point is there's a not scarcity of time, but there's a finite limit to how much we have. And those are different thought processes. I have a finite amount of time and energy. How do I want to spend it? Well, time management for some people is a challenge. Yeah, and I, li- I like to look at time and energy allocation because management kind of throws people into the weeds a little bit of back to I don't have time. <laughs> well, so what I, what I have found, because I'm very punctual and I manage my time very well, I have dear friends that just can't handle it. One day, years and years ago, because we've been friends since we were children, I sat and watched to see what they did. Now, we were supposed to go somewhere. I showed up and they weren't ready. And I sat there and watched. People become distracted. Mm -hmm. They don't stay on task. They just don't. One of my godchildren said to her mother, Aunt Beverly is right. You were supposed to be dressed and ready. And you have been looking for that same remote that's been lost for three months. Why are you looking for it now? Uh, and that's, you know, they become distracted. Their attention is diverted from pulling themselves together so that they can be ready on time to, oh, I have to have, I have to look for that, that remote. I have to look for that, whatever it is that you misplace. It's easy. Yeah. And there, there is that bit of, I mean, I, I use my calendar to help me, but there is that bit of being aware when you're distracted and spinny and fragmented and recognizing that like, hmm, what's going on here? And then kind of listening to what else is going on, the, you know, the chatter, the distraction, the, you know, am I procrastinating because I don't want to do something? So there's that piece. And then there's the, okay, now what do I really want to do? Kind of the, 
investigation, intention part. And then, you know, coming back into your body instead of wherever your mind is spinning. And then now doing what you're supposed to do. I mean, there's that, it's kind of mindfulness in motion, you know, in action in your real life. So I, I practice mindfulness, but it, it really is about bringing your attention back to this moment and then engaging and responding instead of just flying all over the place and reacting like a saber-toothed tiger is chasing you. <laughs> you know, it's an email. It's not a saber-toothed tiger. So, But to so. your point, you have to be intentional yeah. about punctuality. Oh, yeah. Yeah, punctuality. And I use, I mean, I'm a planning freak. So in the morning, I have a very structured routine to say, here are the important things that I'm committing to today. And I can trust that I'm going to get them done. I don't have 75 things on my list. I have five and because I do a combination of work and home because I'm going to do these things today. Because if I don't do them today, then the wheels are going to eventually fall off this bus. <laughs> you know, right. so there, there is that bit of just knowing what you've committed to. And then, you, you know, you, you don't check it off for the sake of checking it off. You check it off because it's important to you. Like I'm, you know, contributed to something that's meaningful to me, to my employer, to my family, you know, whoever it is that's involved, you're keeping your promises. And that, no, that's no. what changes it. It's like, oh, I'm really competent and people want to hire me because I keep my promises. <laughs> that goes to another concept that, that I, I talk about, personal branding. Mm-hmm. You create, whether you call it branding or your reputation, you don't want there to be out in the world the notion that you are not reliable because you don't show up on time, you don't get things done on time. Those are all negatives that we can work on and improve and do better. You know, and if we don't, it will serve to our detriment. Right. And that's, I do think that's why that starting with what matters to you is really helpful because most people do want to be contributors and be valued and give to others. And when you start looking at it from that lens of, you know, I am a person who keeps my commitments. I am a person who is trustworthy. I am someone who contributes to society. You know, then it's easier to to change those habits because you can look at them and say, oh, this doesn't fit with my vision of who I am. I'm not really this person. It's just, it's a habit change and I can change habits. I've changed a bunch of them, but there's that bit of awareness to say, this isn't really congruent with who I want to be. So that branding or that, you know, however you want to call it branding, or I would call it values, but having a picture of that. And I, I have, I mind map it with people much to their chagrin, (laughs) but you know, who are you? And and is this behavior consistent with who you are or is it inconsistent? And that's where the time leaks come in is when you're all over the place, not really consistent with who you want to be. Well, you know, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the issues is, are people who they think they are? Right. Sometimes our vision of ourselves is not the way others see us or perceive us to be. You're right. And that's so I don't know what assessments you like, but I love assessments to have that. So there's there's I use the via strengths finder because to have a conversation about strengths is helpful to say, here, here are your strengths in rank order. And you like to think of yourself as being curious. And actually, your top strength is humor. So, you know, are there ways we can augment this lower strength? So I, I think that's helpful. And then getting feedback from other people is hugely helpful. 
as you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. how are you really coming across? Um, yeah, do you know, I, do you know that book, How to Fascinate? No, I've had, no, I have never heard of it. Ah, that's a, it's an interesting way to, and there's another one that's this, it's similar, How the World Sees You. And uh, Hogshead is, uh, Sally Hogshead is the author. But I thought that was really interesting from a personal branding standpoint, because there are some assessments to kind of get at that. You know, you may think you're showing up as this super organized, always punctual person, but you're not perceived in that way at at all. And so your kind of hidden strength is actually the other thing, whatever the assessment reveals. And it does help you to say, oh, I'm really, maybe I do need to dig a little deeper into who I am. (laughs) You know that you know that's um, something for people to write down mm-hmm. and look into. Another thing that that's the person that is that a personality assessment? It's it's yeah personality, but it's it's really related to personal branding and marketing. And and I I love that concept because it, it's not just at work; it's also at home. It's kind of the way you show up all over the place, and that's why I use Thea too because it's it's how you show up all over the place because. Oh. Uh, the government has, I think it's O-Net, O-Net. And I think you can do an assessment on that, or you can get some information about doing a career assessment. Mm-hmm. If you're not sure what you want to do with your life, what career path you're suited for or will suit you. Yeah, those are important questions. Because sometimes we're following somebody else's script, you know, that your parents told you you should be a lawyer and therefore you are and you don't like it (laughs) and you're not good at it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And people need tools that Mm -hmm. that help them navigate their journey, employment and otherwise. Right. We all need a little help. (laughs) Well, and that's I do think that having that grounding in your strengths. And that's the reason that I use that because we, we're so focused all the time on the things that we do wrong. And and that just ramps up the anxiety and taking that energy into a, a job interview or, or, or a date or anything else is it's not attractive. And so you're not going to get what you want if you're projecting that kind of energy of anxiety and desperation. And so if you can ground yourself in, you know, I'm really good at these five to 10 things and be just confident in that. It helps to know that. And here's my five top strengths. And then you can, when you're asked all those interview questions that are behaviorally based, you know, you can frame it in, you know, I'm a very curious person. And so I tend to ask questions. And so one of my contributions to a group is that I ask a lot of questions. And so when you think of it that way, it's not that you're needy and you're asking too many questions. It's that that's one of your strengths, this curiosity. And it just helps you to go, oh, I'm actually bringing something to this conversation because these are my strengths. Somebody else has a different set of strengths and they're bringing something different to the conversation, a different lens. And we need all these different lenses to to move this thing forward. I love just the concept. And it, it does help people, especially if they've been knocked off the horse for whatever reason, you know, a health scare, a career change, a divorce, whatever, just to kind of reground and, oh, yeah, I actually am good at some things. <laughs> and here and they are. Know, or COVID. You sure. know, COVID, it's a great opportunity. This isolation is a great opportunity to look at some of these tools and work through them and work on ourselves. I mean, for me, and it, you mean, because of the, the people I've lost to COVID-19, I, you know, sometimes I feel... Well, you know, it hasn't been, you shouldn't say it was a positive for you, but 
just isolate, being in isolation. I finished the book. I finished training that makes me more marketable. Two areas of training that will make me more marketable. I'm able to work on marketing my book. So, you know, I'm trying to take advantage of a negative and turn it into a positive. It's difficult because of the loss, Mm -hmm. but I know that there have been positives that to come out of uh, such a, a tragic situation. Yeah, and I'm sorry that you've had people close to you that have been lost. It's so hard. But that's, you know, you're right that trying to figure out how to turn it to something positive, kind of the blessing of the lesson, you know, there that's what resilience is. I mean, we're not going back. It's not bouncing back. It's really moving through. Like, what can I do with this time? What can I do with this loss? You know, right. what, how, what meaning can I make from it? Because otherwise, it does stop you if you focus on the, all the things that were lost. It's really, really hard for people. And I'm not minimizing the loss at all, but just, you know, looking at, okay, what can I do now? You know, just kind of continually asking that question, what can I do to honor this person, to honor myself, to honor my body? You know, what is possible? keeping the space open. No, I, I, you know, and if the projections are accurate, we, and, and we're going to be, you know, we may have some, some issues in the fall. I think people should start considering if this had, we have to do this again, what can I do in a positive way to improve my circumstance? Yeah, you're right. We don't know. So we but. don't know, but we need to have a, we need to have a plan at mm-hmm. the red. Because this caught us completely off guard, completely off guard. I mean, I signed my publishing contract in April. We shut down in March. I signed the publishing contract in April. So from, and and the book was published the following April. Cool. I mean, it was like, whoa, (laughs) this is serious. I can't believe this. And I was supposed to do this one week intensive training in Washington, D.C. And, you know, I don't pack well and I have to have choices when I get dressed. So when I travel, it's amazing. And I was going to travel by train. I wasn't looking forward to lugging those bags. I just wasn't. But then COVID hit and they did it remotely. So for that week, I was in not my pajamas, but damn near. (laughs) No, I did everything and, and I, I got through the course and the two-year course I was taking, they stopped. I, I, I did it for a year and then the, the second year, it was all COVID. And I was like, wow, this is weird. It has been weird. Yeah, it's it's been weird in so many ways. And I mean, and you know, you mentioned the, I just got in my pajamas and did it anyway. I mean, I think that's what a lot of us have been doing is you know, I mean, I may look okay from the waist up because I'm on Zoom, but <laughs> there's a party at the bottom in my pajamas because I'm wearing my yoga pants every right. day. And I don't want to go back to having not getting to wear my yoga pants every day. <laughs> well, let me say this to you, though, because I, I did. A, I was a guest on a podcast yesterday and this came up. There are many I'm reading that in, in the media, various forms of media are saying that employees, many employees don't want to return to the office. And they're telling their employers that they don't want to come back to work. They want to continue to work from home. 
and I told the person interviewing me, I said, I think people should rethink that position. Now, if they're willing to leave the job that they have, that's one thing. If that's a career choice that they're making, they should not think that they can pressure their employer into giving them what they want because they are expendable. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Curing cancer, they can be replaced. And if you write a check, you better be prepared to cash it. (laughs) If you tell your boss that you're not, you don't want to come back to work, you're not coming back to work, your boss may say, all right, you don't have to come back to work. You can work from home. And then in two, three, four months, your boss says, we don't need you anymore. We reorganize the workflow and we don't need as many people. What do yeah. you want to say? Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, we're, we're all looking at what is the, we're even from a teaching perspective, what's the fall going to look like? And, you know, we'll have students on campus some days, we hope, and then other days they may not be on campus. So we don't know. And, and you're right, we'll just roll with whatever happens. But if they send us all home, then we'll work from home. And if they don't, we'll go back. <laughs> but but yeah, you're right. I do think there's a lot of employers that are that have realized that it's also more cost effective for them to have their employees at home and certainly from a business travel standpoint. So I think it just depends on the employer and the type of work and the who's employed and all of it. But you've got to be willing to do what you need to do. You're absolutely right. No, and you're absolutely right. But trust and believe. If it's to the employer's advantage, that will be their decision. Right. <laughs> if it, it's best for them, that's what they will do. And employees need to understand that. And I don't think they do to the extent that they should. You know, I think, well, you know, so-and-so is my friend. But there are people making decisions that don't even know who you are. <laughs> yeah, if you're in a big corporate entity for sure. It's, uh, yeah, there's there's lots of lots of goings on that typically we don't know about at, at the lower levels. And, you know, there's so much integration and mergers and just all of that. So yeah, we don't really know. But I that also kind of gives gets me back around to I can't do anything about that. But what I can do is to pay attention to the way I'm living my own life. You know, so am I taking care of my health and my resilience and my lifestyle. I mean, that's that's kind of the way I come to it because it's something I can control. I can make sure that I'm contributing to my job and I can also make sure that I'm as healthy as I can be so I can stay on it. I mean, I, I still have several years that I want to work. And so I want to be healthy during those years. And if COVID has taught us anything, it's that going into a pandemic with some resilience and health is a lot better than going into it without it because that's you know there have been some losses of so many people because of our overall health status and I don't want to get too much on my soapbox but it is a great opportunity to say all right I cannot sit here in front of the tv one more night and eat jalapeno potato chips and watch criminal minds and I'm calling myself out (laughs) like this is not the right answer But after a while, you get sick of doing that. You do. You get sick of it. It didn't take me very long. Fortunately, it's not my nature. But, you know, there is that bit of using this for good to say, okay, what habits are really not serving me, whether it's at work or at home or with my health? And what do I want to do differently? I mean, it's it's the time to ask the question before no, we move into fall. 
You're right. And I, and hopefully people that hear this interview, this, this, uh, that it will help them proactively move forward. Yeah. And there's, you know, I don't, and I will, uh, I'll send you some resources to link to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, but I really think their materials are fantastic because they break it down into different areas of life. And we've seen it before, but paying attention to sleep and stress resilience and movement, it doesn't matter what the movement is and the way that you eat. And it's not a diet. It's, you know, the lifestyle, the way you eat and community, the importance of connection that we've already talked about, you know, and being connected to other people, whether it's virtually, if we have to go there again, or in person as much as you possibly can. And then looking at substance use. I mean, it's been a challenge and continues to be a challenge with COVID, just the the mental health crisis that's on the tail of this because people are stressed and with for good reason. I mean, it's not because we're not, we're bad people. It's because this has been really challenging, you know, but looking at, let me l- really take a hard look at, at the way that I'm living so that I can do this well for the next go round or the next hopefully 30 years or 50 years, you know, depending on how old you are, 80 years, (laughs) listen to this podcast. How can I do this well for the long term is the question. Yeah. I mean, our eating habits are important. You know, I know that over time as I've aged, I've changed my eating habits because I'm, 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 listen, first of all, I'm vain. I'm my mother's (laughs) I'm vain. My vanity takes over. But I also want, to your point, to have a quality of life that will permit me to do the things that I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's really where, I mean, any of those habits that feel like work, any of those health habits, that's where you start is why is it important to me? Well, it's important to me because I want to be able to travel and I want to be able to hang out with my grandkids and I want to be able to take this hike that I've always wanted to take, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But those things motivate you to look at the things you don't like to do. Like, shoot, I got to learn to cook differently. <laughs> but I did. And yeah. I, I like, that's, see that, and that's another thing. I don't, cooking is the only thing I don't mind doing around the house. During COVID, I had to clean, I had to wash clothes, but cooking, I mean, people, my friends were complaining about not being able to go out to lunch. I said, doesn't bother me. I cook very well. Mm -hmm. I've been doing very nicely, but I didn't gain weight because I didn't consume everything that I wanted to consume. Yeah, I love and me and me too. I love to cook because it's kind of a way that I nurture myself in the in the middle of a day. I mean, I, you know, I make myself a lunch if I'm if I happen to be home or I take it if I'm going to the office. But I am intentional about it. And it's a way that I can care for my, my husband and I are here at home the way I can care for him. I mean, I, it's kind of love in my world and, and it's been fun, you know, it's always love, especially in the South. Yeah. 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 It's always love wherever you are. Food is love. It is. It's true. It's connection and love. And and it's been fun to learn new, new ways of cooking. And that one of the things that I think is really hopeful is there's this whole movement in medicine and healthcare in general, culinary medicine. And so having practitioners cook with their patients. I love that concept. Yeah, I haven't heard of it. Is that. The, it's one because, you know, that first of all, the patients and, and all of us see our doctors and nurses and pharmacists as people, you know, that are learning right along with them. But you can 
here's a healthy recipe that tastes great and it's easy. It's got four ingredients. And you can have conversations about, I know you've never cooked lentils and so here's what they are and here's how you buy them. Just, I mean, so you're on the same kind of level playing field of learning stuff together. It's, it's pretty cool. And I'm hopeful about that when I look at medical education and kind of health education in general. You know, it's just like I said, I'm trying to live a long life mm-hmm. and I'm trying to make sure my quality of life makes it worth living. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, a, I'm on the path. <laughs> yeah, I, because, I, you know, it, it, you don't want to be tethered to a wheelchair if you can help it. Now, you know, some things we can't help, but those things I can help, I'm trying. Yeah, I agree with you. And the, the other thing that I think is important is, you know, health is transient, you know, so in some cases, your health is not going to be great. But that doesn't mean that your well-being can't be great, because that's more of a mindset game. It's more about your perspective of your health, and all of the things that are in your life. And so that's, you know, I do try to keep people away from the well to be healthy, I must lose 40 pounds and have wear a bikini. Well, that's one thing. But it might be working on your your mindset that would really kind of up-level performance, you know? that's It's important, especially as we age, to give ourselves a little bit of grace to let our bodies be what they are. <laughs> it's going to happen anyway. We're about to run out of time, but let me ask you, what, did, what can you give our listeners just maybe one or two tips or advice that you would share with them to help them along the way? I think the most important thing is really what we've already talked about is just to do that reflection. Like, what is your vision for what you want your life to look like for your well-being, your health? And think of it much more about much more than physical health. But what do you really want for whatever age you are now forward? And then get some, reach out, get some assistance. And if if anybody's resonating with this, I'm happy to do a complimentary consult and that you can direct people to my website. But it all that was my second question. How can they find you? Yeah, yeah. So my website is aligned-engagement.com. Or you can also find me on LinkedIn at Bridgette Surfity or Aligned Engagement Strategies or on Facebook as well as Aligned Engagement Strategies. And I'd love to connect, especially if you're kind of in this place of looking for work and managing your health. It all matters. It does, because, you know, you may not get responses to the hundreds of resumes that you submit. Mm -hmm. Don't let that define you. Right. should respond, but they may not respond. You still have to persist. You have to move forward and you have to network live and online. LinkedIn, if you have a college degree and there's an alumni association, look for alumni on LinkedIn and a short introduction and asking if they could, if you can talk or if you can send them an email, you know, you want to, The objective is to present yourself in a fashion that people want to help you. Yeah, and I've used that coffee chat uh, sort of outreach so successfully, and people do want to help. So that's Mm -hmm. that's the good news is that people want to help. Yeah, especially after COVID. I mean, everyone is feeling the impact of the pandemic in some way, shape, or form. When they say we're all in it together, whether we want it to be or not, we were. Mm-hmm. And we, we are. are. <laughs> oh, yeah, we are. 
So, you know, we've got to get to the really to the other side of this and we can't do it alone. Beverly, I've so appreciated your perspective on this, and I can't wait to read your new book either, so I'll be looking for it. <laughs> well, you know, your, especially your daughters should. Yeah. <laughs> because there's a chapter called Who Are You? Mm. The essence is, and what do you bring to the table? Because I have so many young people that I care about, either I'm their godmother or they've adopted me or I've adopted them. And it just amazes me that they think they should be doing something at such a high level when they <laughs> they they neither have the training, the experience, or the wherewithal to, to do what they think they should do well. Mine aren't in that category, but but I I hear you. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I'm like, really? Do you think you can do that, or, or do you have training to do that? And then I tell them, do you know how long I've been doing different things? I mean, I have a very eclectic uh, work history. Uh, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. But, you know, y- you got to give them credit. Moxie. <laughs> when you get trophies for participation, <laughs> then that makes you think that you should get a job because you applied. <laughs> Uh, don't get me started. <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just saying. Well, I don't know when I, if ever I will get to Arkansas, but I hope our paths cross live in person. I would love that. At some point. I've Mom never down. Been and my next door neighbors are from Alabama. It's a beautiful state. You know, I'm always surprised. You know, having come back here, it's it's very pretty, and I had forgotten. So it's nice to be here, and there's lots of growth, and especially in the northwest part of the state, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean this this is a beautiful country. Yeah, and the the terrain, the cities, the towns, the communities, the villages, the hamlets—it's such a diverse compilation of just so many wonderful things. I think I'm going to the UK. When I'm sure that COVID is over, mm-hmm. but I plan to do most of my traveling in country. Yeah, me too. I'm, uh, and it's it's fun to drive at this point. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> well, I, I don't know whether I'll be driving, but I, you know, I'm tr- I, I'm trying to stay safe. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think yeah, you're wise. <laughs> I'm trying to stay safe. But thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was just wonderful. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank and you, you be safe well and enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences.
This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.